Welcome to Brad Kyle's Brad's Motor Works podcast. We'll be talking about some things about BMW, some things of cars in general, and some things about car repair. I hope you find it educational, enlightening, and I hope it increases your understanding of your car. And maybe along the way we'll have some fun too. Thank you for listening, and here we go. Episode number 144, The Invisible Energy Transition. Um, This one I'm going to be reading from a a newspaper called the Epic Times. You may or may not be familiar with it, but it's, uh, I've been reading it now for about a year or so. And uh, this is certainly an article that is, you know, I mean, let's face it, I'm in the transportation industry and uh, we certainly require energy like just about everyone in the world requires energy. And I ran across this article. It's rather long, but it's, it's factual. Uh, there's a lot of information in it that uh, that is like, wow, didn't know that type stuff. And uh, so I, I decided I'm going to do this one. Uh, again, real quick, couple commercials if you want to get a hold of me. And certainly if you have some feedback on this particular article or, uh, or the podcast or any of them that I do, you're certainly welcome to get a hold of me via email. It's bkpodcast5 at gmail.com. Uh, appreciate any input or any ideas or anything for future podcasts. And I'm also on also on LinkedIn. Uh, it's under uh, Brad Kyle's Motor Works. And um, yeah, again, this is from the Epic Times. This particular uh, edition is the March uh, 9th through fifteenth, twenty twenty two edition. The author is a fellow by the name of Mark Mills. Let me give you some quick bio on him. Uh, Mark P. Mills is a Manhattan Institute Senior Fellow and Partner in the Montrose Lane Energy Tech Venture Fund. He served as Chairman and CTO of ICX Technologies and helped take it public. Mark also served in the Reagan White House Science Office and was an experimental physicist and developmental engineer in microprocessors and fiber optics. He's a pretty sharp guy and he's got quite the varied background. And uh, like I say, this is an article that uh, <clears throat> really hit me. Um, and, uh, you know, it's it's not uh, too political, but um, it's really just a lot of facts. And it's kind of in-your-face facts. So I hope you find it uh, entertaining, so to speak, and, and it certainly uh, enlightens you in regards to what's going on in the world of energy. So here we go. Um, the world, we're told, is not only undergoing an energy transition, but an accelerating one, except it's not. This isn't to suggest that there's anything false in all of the headlines about record increases in electric car sales, huge plans for more solar and wind installations, or massive government spending and mandates to affect an energy transition. That's all true. But a rapid transition away from traditional energy just isn't visible in the data. Oil, natural gas, and coal supply 84% of global energy. That share has shrunk by a mere two percentage points over the past two decades. And that's after more than $5 trillion being spent by governments in pursuit of avoiding fossil fuels, along with endless admonitions and mandates in the age of climate awareness. Burning wood still supplies civilization far more energy than all of the world's solar panels. Oil still fuels nearly 97% of all of the world's transportation. Crop-derived liquids supply most of the rest, with electric vehicles striving to reach a 1% share of that energy sector. And as economics 
excuse me, and as economies climb out of recession, fossil fuel has use has taken off and is already past or close to pre-lockdown levels. That's with commerce, driving, and especially global air travel yet to fully recover. But now, from Washington to Brussels, policymakers and pundits propose spending far more, many trillions of dollars more, to accelerate the goal of avoiding fossil fuels. Everyone knows why, the climate. Debating the science behind the why is a separate subject. But the, sh- but the how is about energy domains, a subject with very settled physics. Set aside the cost of forcing a faster transition, which is a lot to set aside, the transition narrative ignores two big wild cards. Building the hardware for transition aspirations will require an unprecedented increase in global mining at scales almost certainly unachievable in the time frames proposed. And aside from the challenges in replacing existing uses for fossil fuels, transitionalists fail to account for huge growth in energy demands that will yet come from the kinds of emergent innovations that everyone wants. Engineers have long known that in order to deliver the same amount of energy as hydrocarbon-based machines, building solar or wind systems instead requires a tenfold increase in the use of common materials such as concrete, steel, and glass. And it requires far more than a tenfold increase in the use of specialty minerals and metals. We're approaching the second anniversary of a seminal report from the International Energy Agency, known as IEA, that documented just how starting an energy transition will require the global supply of minerals, rare earth metals, nickel, copper, cobalt, lithium, and so forth, to increase to 4,000% from 700%. As a World Bank study put it, the technologies assumed to populate the clean energy shift are in fact significantly more material intensive. That may be the understatement of the century. Until now, that fact hasn't mattered much because wind, solar, and batteries will account for only a few percentage points of global energy. The world doesn't have enough mines now operating or planned to meet such demand increases. Trying to supply much, such unprecedented quantities will stress global supply change. chains. In the world of commodities, that translates into higher prices, inflation, for all of those minerals. That will make everything else built from those minerals more expensive, from home appliances to conventional cars and computers. It will also inflate the price tag for an energy transition because raw materials account for 60% to 70% of the cost to manufacture both solar panels and batteries. Contrary to claims about inevitable, continual, and rapid declines in the cost of the machinery needed to pursue the transition, mineral commodity inflation has already slowed and has even reversed price trends. The year 2021 saw a mere 6% decline in average lithium battery prices, a dramatic slowdown from the decade trend. Battery prices are forecast to rise in 2022. One of China's, China's largest EV makers has already raised sticker prices. Higher commodity costs have pushed solar module prices up by nearly 50% since 2020. Wind turbine manufacturers are struggling to make any profits in an already thin margin business because of higher material costs and forecasts now see routine excuse me forecasts now seen turbine prices rising by 10% in the coming year 
It bears noting that China is the largest source for a majority of the essential energy materials. The United States depends on imports for 100% of 17 minerals and far more than 50% of 28 others. Plenty of minerals exist under U.S. soil, but proposals to build mines in the United States, and increasingly everywhere, meet fierce opposition, if not outright bans. The Biden administration recently canceled a proposed copper and nickel mine in northern Minnesota. This was after years of delays and navigating through a maze of regulations. Many of the people who want more solar panels and electric cars are the same ones who oppose mining. As for the ultimate goal of replacing all hydrocarbons, rather than just a bigger fraction of them, consider a geological survey of Finland study. Researchers calculated that the aggregate quantity of minerals needed to meet that goal would be greater than not only would be greater let me start that over again. Researchers calculated that the aggregate quantity of minerals needed to meet that goal would be greater than not only than all planned mining, but greater than all of the known global reserves of the minerals needed. Of course, future innovations will moderate mineral demands, but in these realms, efficiency gains of 10% or so are hard won. To make a meaningful reduction in material intensity would require efficiency leaps of tenfold in solar, wind, and battery technologies. Such gains aren't even theoretically possible. Aside from ignoring these physical and economic realities regarding materials, the aspirants of a transition underestimate how much more energy the world would need. The future won't only have more people, but also more innovations. Entrepreneurs are far better at inventing new ways to use energy than to produce it. It's obvious, but worth stating. Before the invention of automobiles, airplanes, pharmaceuticals, or computers, there was no energy needed to build or power them. The future will have billions more people who will be more prosperous and want others already what, what others already have, from medical care to vacations and cars. More than 80% of air travel is for personal purposes. That's 2 billion barrels of oil per year, essentially, for fun. And more than 80% of the world's population has yet to take a single flight. In the United States, there are about 80 cars for every 100 citizens. In most of the world, it's about 5 cars per 100 citizens. Hospital use, hospitals use 250% more energy per square foot than average commercial buildings. And drug manufacturers, manufacturing is far more energy intensive than fabricating cars or aircraft. The global information infrastructure, the cloud, uses twice as much electricity as the entire country of Japan, and the former is expanding at a torrid pace. The semiconductor industry, at the core of today's supply chain stresses, plans to spend $300 billion building new manufacturing plants over the next few years. Those additional plants alone will use twice as much electricity as the country of Denmark. These are known trends. While we can't predict the future, we can predict that there will be more innovation, robots, drones, metaverse, augmented reality, cryptocurrencies, quantum computers, biotechnology, and things not yet imagined. Energy is embodied in each and every single thing that makes life worth living, not just surviving, but improving safety, comforts, convenience, and even beauty. We're going to need every form of supply, not just new or old. 
Even the IEA's most optimistic transition roadmap, one that imagines all nations spending vastly more on such a transition from any than any do now or even propose to do, still has a world in 2050 consuming more fossil fuels than in the year 2000. Global energy transitions are very, very slow. There won't be a transition eliminating hydrocarbon for a long, long time. So, that's the end of that article. And uh, like I say, I certainly learned quite a few things in there. But, um, you know, these are the facts, folks. And, and people, it's interesting how different people talk about, well, we're going to get rid of fossil fuels in 10 years. Well, if, you know, if you start asking them questions, and especially if you start asking them questions by people who are educated in the process of doing these things and what it takes to actually, oh, I don't know, make stuff and deliver it, and to put it to market, they don't have any answers because they really don't know. So it's, uh, it's going to be a process. It's going to take a long, long time. And in the meantime, I think we, you know, hopefully there's going to be some technology that will allow us to use the energy we have more efficiently. Uh, but even that's going to require, you know, energy to make that happen. Um, you know, we all need energy in one form or another, whether it's burning wood or electricity or whatever the case may be. So I think we should all take responsibility for our own personal lives and try to use the things we have as efficiently as we can and get the most out of them. And, um, you know, not necessarily be willing to just throw something away because it doesn't work anymore. You know, hence the reason I'm in the car repair business. So, I mean, can you imagine if... Uh, well, I don't know. <laughs> it could be as simple as your car runs out of gas, so you throw it away and get a new one. You know, that's obviously one extreme. But uh, there are certainly people that uh, they don't want to get be involved in the repair process. So they, they buy a new car, they drive it, and uh, when it's almost out of warranty, they trade it back in and get another new car. So that makes the world go round, but it, it uh, obviously there's some positives and negatives from that. So anyway... I hope you found this informative, maybe eye-opening, um, you know, some interesting information, uh, things to talk about and, and think about. And, um, you know, like I say, maybe uh, we can all kind of tweak our lifestyles a little bit and, and try to get the most out of what we have. So that's it on this one. I appreciate your time and listening. And like I say, I hope you got something out of it. Um, and again, if you want to get a hold of me via email, it's bkpodcast5 at gmail.com. And I'm also on LinkedIn. And uh, I appreciate your time. I appreciate you listening. Uh, I hope you got something out of it. And um, I hope you have a fantastic day and a great tomorrow. Thanks again for listening. Thank you for listening to this episode. It's been an honor and a privilege to spend time with you. I hope you found this of value. Please share it with family and friends. Above all else, with all you're getting, get understanding. May God bless you and keep you. And thank you again.